Hello guys, welcome to the new year. I uh, hope everybody had a great uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, you know, I know you guys haven't heard from us in a minute, the best bow brains guys, but you know, I was trying to graduate guys, so you know, I kind of was a little preoccupied, but we're back. I graduated, if you're wondering. Woo! I finished. Yeah, Billy, woo! Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you, hold your applause till the end um <laughs> <laughs> no nah, but uh i'm excited to get back on the pod mike i know i'm like i miss i miss having the pod i miss hearing your bullshit you know being spewed at me every week so you know i'm excited to uh, get this show back on the road mike how you been what you been up to let the people know man it's been a, a little break you know holiday season i hope everyone like billy said had a good holidays a good new year um and I look forward to a, a great 2020 for all of y'all, and especially for this podcast. You know, we took a little break. We're coming back with season two now, and we just got good content all year. Basketball's heating up, so we're back and we're ready. Yeah, so yo, since we're both mentioning about the um, the new year, and you know, this is we're embarking on a new decade, right? So let's. I think that's going to be like the main focus for our show uh, today. Is going to be. The past decade in which we, you know, we're looking behind and, and seeing some great moments and, uh, you know, maybe teams that we thought were going to win, but, you know, didn't weren't able to win. But then we're also going to look ahead as well. We're going to think about, you know, guys who we think are going to take control of the NBA um, within the next decade and, and, you know, teams and organizations that we think uh, are maybe going to acquire some of these guys or are going to take the next step in um in winning a championship for their city so to start off mike let's start with top moments of the decade this was so hard for me i don't know about you but this was just so hard for me because it was like there were so many great moments like decade like that's a very long time and so much happens every season. Like you can do best moments of an NBA season. So to really look at a whole decade and really just pinpoint a few moments, it's it's very hard. But I'll let you go first and start off. What is your first moment that you feel like that first moment that you that you want to uh, talk about as like being one of the best moments of the decade? I mean, I think for this one, like it's like Billy said, it's kind of tricky just because it's also it's so subjective that. Mm-hmm. Something something might stand out to one person that might not stand out to the other, but also trying to fit find three of our favorite moments of basketball in the last <laughs> ten years is tricky, and also not trying to find the simple basic moments, even though some of those are hard to avoid. Um, so for my first moment, this one is more sentimental for me because um, I remember this. I remember watching this game with my dad like vividly. Um, I think it was I don't even remember what year it was. I think it was twenty twelve, Easter. Uh, Carmelo Anthony against the Chicago Bulls. He he comes down fourth quarter down by three, pull up three. I think it was on Todd Gibson, and like like you remember the announcer Mike Green, bang, and then to go to overtime, and then overtime same scenario, down by two, pull up three on Luol Deng. I just remember that because that was like the first big mellow moment at the Garden with the Knicks. Um, just watching that game with my dad and just national television on easter like it was just a really cool moment um and like i'll, I'll always remember that game so that is my number one for, one of mine for the decade um just because for sentimental reasons but also because it was just pretty cool just to see have a like the next not having superstar for so long and having that player in that big game in the big moment on national tv in front in front of america to have those two big shots um it, that was just a, a nice moment for me and for the knicks um, what what was your what was one of yours, Billy? Um, this was like very hard, um, but we were talking about this in in our in our production meeting a little bit. I think that that moment when LeBron James uh, is in, is is back with Cleveland for a second go run, and he's already up two zero against Toronto, who's the number one seed. And Cleveland this year, if I'm not mistaken, they were ranked – hold on because I have it right here. They were ranked as the fourth seed. And, um, you know, they go – they're in – they're not even – they're not even in Cleveland. I'm pretty sure. No, sorry. They are in Cleveland. They are in Cleveland. They're, yeah. they're in Cleveland. But they're up 2-0. They're in Cleveland. 
And LeBron James hits that game winner off the uh, off the backboard. Like, bro, like that moment was insane just because, like, how do you go up 3-0 against the number one seed in the East and you're ranked at the fourth seed? And, yeah, we know LeBron James is great and he's magnificent. He's one of the best players to ever touch a basketball. The best player to touch a basketball, in my opinion. And for him to hit that shot, which was just at the peak level of difficulty, like, that is, like, just mind-boggling. Like, just insane clutchness from the king. And it eventually led to one of the one of the one of his greatest, you know, playoff runs as a whole. But that that moment was just just wild, bro. Like that that like that like that was just a great moment right there. That that moment was wild also like like Billy just said, just because of the playoff run. Like he had another game winner against Indiana in that playoff run. Um he was averaging almost a triple double for that entire playoff run, carried yep. into the finals, and then he goes game one, fifty one, eight and eight. Which is like oh dominant like finals performance I've ever seen, and for them to lose that game in the manner that they did was kind of funny. Um, but that that playoff run in that moment was like if they could have that ended in a championship, it would have been the greatest playoff run ever, and it still might be regardless of the championship or not. Frankly. And that and that's a team right there that probably should have won, like. We're going to talk about that later, but I think that that's also one of, and they're not one of my teams that I chose, so that's why I'm going to say it now. But that's also another team that could have won NBA championship that year because LeBron was literally playing out of his fucking mind, and like that, just that the epitome of that moment was just insane. But what, what, what was your what was your next moment that you thought um, was fire? Number two, I remember this game also very vividly too. We're talking about. Golden State going to OKC for a regular season matchup. This is when KD and Russ were still there. And this is a game, I think it was a Sunday night, when Curry was going off, but he hit that game winner from like 40 feet. Do you remember that? When he was pulled up. Oh! I remember that! And he pulls up at like half court for the game winner. I vividly remember watching that game. Yo, I totally forgot about that. Bro, that was one of my favorite basketball moments because I remember Mike Breen was like from the parking lot, bro. That was in, like he because they, uh, they played OKC that night, right? Yeah, with, with like KD and, and Russ. Yes, five feet. Yo, so, I remember that. Bro, I remember watching that game just because like, I was like, "Yo, this nigga really just pulled up from like half court." And, and the reason and like, sunk that shit. Ugh. And the reason it was crazy is because once he shot it. Yeah, I said if that man is shooting that ball that confidently from that far, it's going in, and he wet it. That was insane. That I think like at that point we knew what Steph Curry was, but that was different. Like that was like that was before they that solidified his that solidified him in the league. That shot was that, his, was that one of his MVP seasons. It had to be. Yeah, it was. That yeah, but that shot that and what that would lead to, like in the next couple of years in terms of the Warriors' success. I think that was a huge moment in the last decade. Um, what's what's your second one, Billy? So, my second one goes goes back to a moment maybe a lot of people don't um, think about, but I think is a very like special moment in the NBA history. So, I I, I want to go back to twenty thirteen and the finals, the Heat against the Spurs. And Ray Allen's clutch three-pointer in the corner. Like, that shot, like, okay. Yeah, we can talk about that, you know, that's like the icing on the cake for Ray Allen's career, right? He had a great long, he had a long and um, and very, you know, he had a very solid career, Hall of Famer for sure. Um, and LeBron James scored tw- uh, 32 points in that game as well. And it was game six, and it was a, it was a, uh, I'm, if I'm not sure, it was an elimination game. Am I am I right about that? Yeah, they were down. They were down three two. Right. So it was elimination game, and Ray Allen hits that shot. One, that was just a clutch shot to take, like, and and, and to have the balls because it it was a miss first by was it who shot was Bron. it Chris, Bron missed the shot and then didn't Chris Bosh like hit it to it Ray Allen? Yeah, that was insane. And he in the corner. Oh he ba- he steps back and and hits the shot, which is insane. But not and, and then 
what we don't also think about with that shot is Ray Allen low-key saved the... The legacy of LeBron James. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because if you th- if LeBron James loses that series, it's a totally... It, 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 it's a totally different situation. Like if he loses that finals, it hurts his legacy so much. We already talk about, you know, him having a uh, having you know a tainted legacy just because he lost that first year to Dallas. If he loses this year, this is rough. Like that hurt that that we look at LeBron James in a totally different light, and Ray Allen single handedly saves LeBron's legacy in his career, um, and and adds to a great moment within within the decade. But uh, what do you think? Uh, what's your uh, what's your last and final uh, moment? I think this one is more. This one is more generic, maybe. Right. But, but this one, this one cannot be overlooked. Um, I we're talking about the Game Seven, the 2016 Finals. Probably one of the greatest basketball games I've ever watched. The the last four. Everyone remembers the last four minutes, scoreless. No one like the last. A four-minute stretch in the games of the NBA Finals, tie game, and no one can find a basket. All of a sudden, it looks like there's a Andre Iguodala has a layup that's going to give the Warriors a lead and maybe a championship. And here comes LeBron, bro! I, oh my god! I remember th- watching a lot of things that was a goaltender, but that block, oh my god! And then Kyrie comes down and hits the one of the biggest shots in NBA history in in a step back three in Steph's mug. And then you have the moment after this LeBron laying on the court in tears at Cleveland. This is for you. Like that, that was so, and at that point in time, like I, I knew LeBron was great, but I, I liked the Warriors and I was rooting for Steph in that moment, but you couldn't, no one could deny the gravity of that moment for LeBron, his legacy and for Cleveland. And I just think like that was one of the coolest sports moments, seeing that raw emotion from LeBron after, and what it meant for him and for that city. Um, that had to be one of the greatest moments of the decade, easily. Dude, I think you're 100 percent right because that moment, what? And I was right there with you. I wanted the Warriors to win, but you know that block on Iggy, insane. Because that, like, a lot of guys don't even understand why. Uh, a lot of people don't understand why. You know that was such a big moment, and that play was just so big because a lot of times in those situations, when that happens. You know, guys aren't hustling that much to get to get to the other end to try and block that shot because that's a hard play to make. But LeBron James is such a great player and has such an enormous amount of athletic ability that he's able to make those types of plays. And that was a game changing moment because if if Iggy makes that layup and throws it or throws that dunk down, that's that's a that's an energizer for the Warriors team, and they might not they might not you know uh, they might win that game, going to win that game. But you know, having that block and that that you know that boost that that added to to Cleveland, and and then you know having Kyrie being able to hit that nasty game winner over Steph Curry, who was you know the MVP of that season, that that, that says a lot, man. It, it was it, like you said, it was a great, great, great moment of the decade. And the craziest part is that without two of these moments on the list, LeBron could hypothetically have one championship, and that's yep. the, that's why these moments are so big. Um, but Billy, what's your what's your last great moment of the the past decade? Okay, so my last moment um, is I feel like something that we kind of take for granted and something that we haven't really looked at a lot. And I think uh, it's Zach Levine. And people are like, "What do you mean Zach Levine? How Zach Levine? Zach Levine's 2015 dunk contest has to be one oh, of the top moments. Of, yes, that oh, has boy. to be one of the top moments of the decade because if you think about, you know the dunk contest as a whole. It's normally bland. People normally hate it. And throughout this decade, there's been a lot of talks about, you know, maybe, you know, doing something else or maybe getting rid of the dunk contest. But that dunk contest in 2015 literally was able to capture everybody. Like, it was was able to capture the whole NBA community and the NBA world. And everybody was talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. I remember, you know, being in school and going to school and, all my all my friends were just talking about, yo, did you see the dunk contest? Like, that was crazy. Like, those are the craziest dunks that we've seen in years. Like, people were, were comparing it to, um, you know, when Michael Jordan was in the dunk contest his rookie year, uh, the Vince Carter dunk contest. Like, those those iconic moments in the NBA history, they were comparing the, 20, the 2015 dunk contest to. 
and, you know, some of the dunks that, you know, he was able to do and, you know, him being able to, you know, take a step from the free throw line um, and, you know, throwing the ball behind his back. Like those dunks were insane. Like people weren't, you weren't seeing a lot of those. And it, it was just, it was, just, it was just a crazy moment. The thing about that dunk contest too is that not only that, but there was actually it was actually it wasn't just one person putting on a show. Aaron Gordon was doing crazy dunks of his own, and it was like back and forth, like one upsmanship, like just keep trying to one up each other. And the thing is, is that I remember there was a lot of debate because a lot of people felt that Aaron Gordon should have won that dunk contest. And my thing always was is that bro, people gave Jordan tens for jumping the free throw line regular. Zach Levine's doing windmills, bro, behind the back from the free throw line. Like, that, there's not many humans on earth that can do that successfully. And, like, it's cool that you're jumping over the mascot, like this, that, and the other. Like, that, those are also very hard. But there's a few people in the world who could do what Zach Levine was doing in those dunk contests. And that's what made it cool to me. Exactly, bro. He, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm watching it right, right now. I'm reliving the moment. Bro, he literally put the ball. He threw up the ball. He, he puts it through his legs and then reverse dunks it with his with his uh with his right hand. Like the the amount of difficulty for you to hit that shot is insane. Like you can't just willy-nilly do that. Like that's not just something that you can just like easily do. Then he throws the ball behind his back and catches it with his left hand and then dunks it. Like that is an insane dunk. That is not normal. No, that that dunk contest was special. That's a good moment though. I like that one. Something that great moment, bro. I, yeah. And people and people are like we forget about it because it happened so long ago, 2015. But dude, his dunk package was just different. It really was. Like, there's no way else to say it. Just different. That's facts. But those right there are our top moments of the decade. Um, we're gonna transition into our top teams of that decade, the past decade, that should have won a championship and did not do so. Um, we're going to rip through these ones kind of quick so we can get to the later part of our podcast for the looking future. But quickly, I'll go through with my three and then we'll move on to Billy. So the first team that I have that should have won a championship, I feel like Billy might have one of the two of these teams on his list as well. We didn't really talk about it, but I feel like these are pretty obvious ones. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, Lob City. Yeah, they're on my list. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about, I just, like, when Blake Griffin got drafted and how he just emerged onto the scene, um, and then you think about how Chris Paul could have been a Laker and ends up in the same building with the Clippers, with DeAndre Jordan, with the shooting in J.J. Redick, with the defensive stopper and, and enforcer and Matt Barnes, Jamal Crawford off the bench. Um, that team had a lot of depth, a lot of shooting. Had you, a, a point guard, a role man, a rim protector. That team had everything you you think you would think you would need to win a championship, and just fell up a bit short uh, several times. And I think that's a blemish on the resume of Chris Paul for sure. Um, I know I feel like Doc definitely regrets some of those the, some uh, parts of that era just because of a golden opportunity to to make a move and it didn't succeed. Um, in a similar vein, my second team. The Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, I'm not sure if Billy has this one, but I think they definitely should be on this nah, list. No, I got them too. I got the Thunder on my yeah, list. Yeah, I mean, it's because, like, you had at, – throughout this decade, at different points and moments, you had – what you did have Russ, Harden, and KD while they were all young. But you still, at one point, had KD and Russ in their prime. Um, I think, like, when you have three players on your team at one point – regardless of their age, that are go- that are going to be Hall of Famers, no doubt. And you get what? They got one finals appearance out of it? They got they, – the year they lost to Miami, they were still all young. Yeah, that's it. it. That's the only time they went to the finals. Then they blow that 3-1 lead against Golden State. Yep. Uh, it's just – then even with Russ and PG also, like that's what that team could have been considering the circumstances. Um, I just think it's a big disappointment for them for that decade. Um. And then my last team, I have the Chicago Bulls with Derrick Rose yeah, in the early the early 2010s. Um, we're talking about a team that has one healthy Derrick Rose who we know the sky's the limit for a healthy Derrick Rose. That's the MVP D. Rose, the youngest MVP D. Rose, a special that's player. It. D. Rose is probably like the biggest tragedy of the decade. Yeah, that's so <laughs> – I don't, I don't think – bro, the way he's playing now with two bad knees, like – that that is scary. Um, 
But that team with Joakim Noah, who was still a capable and good NBA player at that point in time before New York. Um, who else? Luol Dang. They had they had Kyle Korver at points. Kirk Heinrich. They had a solid bench, which was a big thing for them. Taj Gibson. Yeah, yeah, it was a huge part of that team as well. Um, and I think that I and like especially the the second year, 2012, 2011-2012, they they were like one of the top seeds in the East, fifty six and ten or mm-hmm. something like that because of the, the lockout shortened year, um, which is an amazing record. And then to lose to the Sixers in the first round when at that point the Sixers were just Drew Holiday. Remember that? Oh my gosh, we had Iggy. Oh my yeah, god, we had Drew Holiday. We had Thaddeus Young. Yeah, that was a good team, especially in the East though. Like, and I remember the, that, that same era. Derrick Rose was hitting the game wins against the Heat and stuff. Like that was a good era. And that was a great basketball team. And I, I think like when you look at like, there's not that many teams that you could have said definitely had a chance, but. That team with Derrick Rose definitely had a chance and did not capitalize in that time frame. So those are my three teams for the decade. Um, I know Billy has t- two of the other ones. So just put your comments on that and then add yours. All right, Beth. So twenty fifteen. Uh, so I have the Thunder on there, of course. You know, they had ample chances to win. And that's one of the reasons why I look at Russell Westwick the way that I do. Because you had, you know, mo- most guys who, you know, have the type of caliber or sorry, are the type of caliber player that Russell Westbrook is normally yearn for other players to play aside to help them win championships. But this guy, Russell was, was blessed to be able to play with a lot of talented players early out in his career and even later in his career. And yet he was still unable to find a way to get his teams to the finals. He was only able to do that one time. Um, so, you know, there, there's a knock on the organization for that. Uh, the Clippers look, the Clippers definitely had ample chances uh, Chris Paul, you know, I always wanted him. I always wanted him to get to a finals. I wanted to see what he would do in a finals. Uh, he was never able to do that. Lob City was really great. You know, Blake Griffin was dominant, um, but you know, he, he was hurt from time to time, and, and that and that you know plagued that team. And so did so was Chris Paul. You know, Chris Paul was plagued with injuries, especially in crucial moments of the season, uh, into the playoffs, and that and that really hurt the trajectory of that team. Um, you know, you had guys like Matt Barnes on those teams, you know, good role players, JJ Reddix. Uh, but then, you know, and you had great coaching too. So you had everything that you needed, but when, you, you know, Matt Barnes talks about this a lot, uh, when he's referring to that Clippers team, he felt as though that doc had, you know, a little too many hats to wear and, you know, he was a little overwhelmed and he couldn't really focus as much on coaching. And I think maybe that may be the reason why, you know, the Clippers never ascended to what we thought that they could have ascended too because you know doc was worrying about so many different things the organization uh you know dealing with rosters and stuff like that and he wasn't really able to focus more so on getting guys ready to play in the playoffs and not saying that you know um you know it's, it's just all on doc but you know if doc was able to be in more of a role that he's in now where he's solely just focusing more on the basketball aspects and you know coaching and getting guys ready you know maybe that team could have gone a little higher and I know injuries is the main reason that plagued that team like I'm saying but you know maybe if Doc yeah you know and you know the the uh him having his son on the team as well probably didn't add to the morality of the team as well so that threw a lot of wrenches and things it was just a lot going on there um for the Clippers and there was no real structure and then they had to deal with you know replacing their owner like that was a whole fiasco in the racist comments so there was just a lot going on in LA with that Clippers team and it kind of made it difficult for them to succeed uh, but the last team that you know uh most people don't really talk about and don't really worry about is that that 2012-2013 Pacers team um the roster was you know you, there's not a lot of names that are like okay perennial all-stars but you have a lot of solid plays. You got guys like DJ Augustine on that team. You got Paul George's. You know, Danny Granger played for that team a little bit. Gerald Green, sharpshooter. Um, you, um, you had Gerald Green as well. You had Tyler Hansborough, Roy Hibbert, George Hill. Uh, you had Miles Plumley, Lance Stevenson, David West. You know, they had, they had a nice inside game. And then they had shooters on the outside that were able to knock down shots and a Paul George and a DJ Augustine. Um, so, uh, and in and a George Hill sometimes too, a solid point guard who can run your offense. Like they had solid pieces. And even that year they made it to 
the Eastern Conference Finals and lost to the Miami Heat. Uh, the, uh, in the first round, they beat the Atlanta Hawks, and then they, you know, they beat your their their Knicks for uh, your Knicks four to two. Um, <laughs> sick, but you know, and then they get to the Eastern Conference Finals and they and they lose three four. Take it to a game seven to, uh, with Miami, and that was just those years where Indiana just couldn't figure out how to get past Miami time and time again, year after year. They kept getting stunned by my by Miami, and they just couldn't figure out the the formula to get past them. Uh, but you know that was hard. You know Miami had Chris Bosh, D Wade, and LeBron James, and it was no easy uh, fight. But you know they were always able to push it to to game sevens, which means they had the pieces. They just couldn't really figure out uh, how to do it. And, you know, if they had Paul George now, like if they had the elite player that Paul George is now on that team back then, things maybe been a little different. But, you know, Paul George was still coming into his own. He wasn't really ready for that limelight to take over a team. And nobody really learned – nobody was really teaching him how to win and how to how to be that guy. And he kind of had to learn that on his own, kind of how you – know, uh, kind of how LeBron did as well. You know, LeBron learned how to win when he got to Miami and he was, you know, paired with D Wade. And so, you know, um, but I do think this Indiana team was slept on a lot and, and they, they definitely could have made it to a finals and maybe even won a finals. No, that's a, that's a good team too. Um, I feel like there, there are a lot of similarities that between them and those Bulls teams as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, especially in the East, anything is really possible. So I think I like that team as well. Um, but like that was our those were our teams that we think should have won a championship um, in the past decade. But now we're gonna look forward to more of the future. Like we talked about what what was, but now we're talking about what could be um, in terms of the NBA. So first, we're gonna look at top three players going forward, young players that we think have a chance to dominate this decade. Um, not necessarily players who are young and are already dominating on good teams, but more players who. We've seen those flashes from and know and see where they can be headed and what that could mean for their franchises and their and themselves this decade. Um, so my, my number, my first player so far, I'm gonna go with Trey Young. Um, I, I we we all know the situation in Atlanta; they're rebuilding, but Trey Young is outplaying the rebuild. Frankly, he's a few steps ahead of everyone else on that roster and that organization itself in terms of what they're building. And you can see his frustration at times. Um, but there's no denying what he can do for a team and, and how dominant he's been at such a young age, averaging over 25 points a game, averaging a, a, a good amount of assists, at least upwards of seven, eight assists a game. Um, I think having pieces around him, like we've seen the passes he can make in the, in the, in the pick and roll as a ball handler, um, his, his shooting ability. The thing that's been impressive about him so far in the NBA has been his ability to finish around the rim, which is something that people were skeptical of him coming into the league because of his size. Um, I just think that in not many, even as a rookie, not, he had a slow start, but not many players have put up the stat line that he put up. Like he was putting up records that only him and Steve Nash had held as point guards, which as a rookie is spectacular. Um, there is questions about maybe his usage because the team is so bad, but regardless at age 20 or 21, to be able to put up numbers in that magnitude consistently night in and night out, something really impressive. And I think that he's going to be one of the top point guards in our league for the next 10 years for sure. Um, but who's your, what's your thoughts on that? And who's your first? Um, I, you know, I like Trey Young. Yeah, I still think the book is still out on him. I think, you know, his game is nice, but I, I think he's going, and not saying this is a bad thing, but I think he might find himself in that James Harden category where, you know, you look at him more so as a one-trick pony and you look at him more so as, okay, you're going to score for me, but how are how is you and your scoring really going to fit into the offense? Now, I do like the fact that Trey Young is a better point guard than, than James Harden is, uh, but I still don't think that Trey Young is a pure point guard and a true point guard. He's more of a scoring guard, and, you know, you have to – make sure when, when you have these types of players and these types of scoring guards that they're going to be able to balance that knowing when to score and knowing when to pass. And, you know, that normally takes a little while and he's still a young guard and, you know, he's, he's allowed to, he's allowed a lot of freedom right now because he's the best player on his team. And when you couple him with better players, I don't know if he's going to 
how I don't know how quickly he's going to be able to pick up on when he should shoot, when he shouldn't shoot, when it's his turn, when it's not his turn, how his personality is going to gel with other superstars as well. That's that's still out there, and we still have to wait to see on that. So I feel like it's too. I feel like that's something that's going to take him a few years uh, to learn, and throughout the decade, we might not see his full. Um, we might not see his full abilities and how good he really can be within this next decade. So I feel like it might be a little too early to 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 put him in this category. Me, the first person that I that I think is going to be dominant is Joel Embiid. And yeah, okay, you're gonna look at me as being a homer. I get it. You did, you did. But I say Joel Embiid just because I think he's the best player um, on the Sixers right now. But I also think he's the best big man in the league right now. When Joel Embiid figures out, and I think he's really starting to do it right uh, this season, uh, starting to figure out, you know, he has the ability to really be as dominant he wants to be. Um, and, you know, he's he's played with a, with high caliber guys and he's learning, you know, how when, when, when to pick his spots, when to not pick his spots, you know, uh, passing out of double teams, you know, the game's starting to slow down for him, I think, a little bit more. And uh, we're starting to, I think we're going to start seeing the best of Joel Embiid, especially this playoffs. I really can't wait to see that. But I think that when we're talking about these guys that we're going to see take over the next decade, it's guys that have been in the league already for at least a few years and are, and have a good grasp on the league. And we are really seeing that we really think that we're going to see them flourish further ahead. And I think Joel Embiid is one of those first guys, but who do you think next? Um, Next, I have Luka Doncic, which I feel like Or how you feel about Embiid, too, you know? I mean, yeah, for sure, definitely. I, I mean, I was I was looking at players who have been less established so far, maybe. But I, I think if, if if we're going, like, top three young players for the next decade, I think Embiid definitely makes it onto that list or near the list. Um, just because of how he's the one of the most versatile bigs in the game and we've, that we've seen in a long time. I think that the sky's the limit for him and his potential and, that, and the Sixers in general um, with him there. Um, but sure. the second the second player I have is Luka Doncic. Um, I don't think there's any reason to question why why he's even on this list because well Luka's on my list too, so I'm right, right there with you. Right, ever since he's come to this league, all he's done is get buckets and make the Mavericks go. Um, he does everything. He rebounds the ball. He gets to the rim. He he can shoot the three. Um, sets up his teammates well. Runs the offense. I just think he's a very he's a special generational kind of player. At his size, to be able to run the offense through him is something special. I think the, I think his lack of it and doing it with his lack of athleticism, I think that it just looks like he's on cruise control all the time, which makes it even the more impressive. It looks like never looks like he's overexerting himself. Um, I think that franchise is limited just because of who they have around him. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Porzingis and Hardaway are enough. I mean, eventually he'll get more pieces around him. Him and Porzingis are still working at the chemistry. They're trying to figure out how to best utilize KP as a, as his sidekick. Um, and that's more of team success kind of thing. But in terms of Luka, there's no doubt that, especially over, like, I'm pretty confident in this one that he's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the West and in the NBA in general for the next 10 years. And we'll definitely have, have some MVPs under his belt at some point. Uh, I Look, I totally agree. I like Luka's game. Um, you know, he reminds me of, a lot of, like, he reminds me of a la- a less athletic version of LeBron James, but he has the same fundamentals and the same elite fundamentals that LeBron James has. Because I think, I think when you look at Luca play and you just look at him as a guy, especially when I seeing him pre draft, I was like, I don't really know about this kid. He doesn't look that athletic. He doesn't look like he can make these types of plays. I like. I didn't see his game being able to translate well into the NBA. I thought he was really going to struggle to score, but it's like he has this sneaky athleticism type of thing where, you know, he's able to contour his body in ways that you wouldn't think he would be and be able to make shots. Uh, I think he's a very elite shooter. Um, I think him playing pro basketball at such a young age really um, elevated his game early and allowed him to be so allowed him to be so good at. Yeah, uh, at a younger age, and we're seeing it now in the NBA. Uh, I think uh, Luca, like I said, Luca's on my list. Um, I see him taking over this decade and being that next foreign guy, kind of how like Dirk was 
during our time, how Dirk kind of was, you know, that foreign player like Ginobili or, or, or Tony Parker, how they were known as like the foreign guys and really the foreign stars of the NBA. I think Luka is going to be that for this next generation in this next, de- in this next decade going forward. Definitely. Um, and then the last player I have is Carl Anthony Towns. Um, I feel like he's honestly taken for granted right now in this NBA. And I, there's a few other players. Dude, that's I, bullshit, bro. He's soft. Did you really put him on your list? 100%. I just think he I, – I, there's a few other players I was, I was considering Jason Tatum maybe, someone along those lines. But I, I just think like, yeah, whatever. Like he's soft. That's cool. I, I know that. But in terms of what – he's in a bad situation in Minnesota. Wiggins was dead weight for three years. They have no point guard. They have no other players, young pieces at all. Um, and this is the things that he can do as a big on the basketball floor is ridiculous. Um, he, I'm not sure. He's like, what, 22, 23? He's averaging 27 points a, near 12 boards and four assists. He's shooting 41% from three, 50% from the field. He's blocking shots. He shoots like eight threes a game, and he's shooting almost forty percent. Like I don't think there's many bigs in the NBA that are, I don't think there's any other big in the NBA as skilled as Carlton Towns is as a full package player. I think that being in Minnesota hurts him a lot in terms of the his the perception around him in terms of him not winning and stuff. But that's obviously not all in his control. Um, I think like a lot of similar a similarity to be compared to is like Devin Booker in Phoenix and just how players put like playing out of their mind, but nothing no support around them. I understand the knocks on him that he's tough, that he's soft, but I just don't think he's ever been put in a position to really succeed in Minnesota. And the things that he's done, even one year getting them close to the playoffs, it is, is amazing to me at such a young age. And like, we know that everything that unfolded with Jimmy Butler. Um, I, I just, I, we, we know the, the, the knocks on him and given around him, but I just think in terms of talent and what you and production, consistent production, I don't think there's many, young players in the NBA remotely as talented as Carl Anthony Towns. Look, I see what you're saying, and you know, I kind of see where you're coming from, but at the same time, I don't see Carl Anthony Towns being that guy. I don't see him being a dominant force. I don't – like, I, you know, when you watch him play, yeah, he pets he, – he, yeah, he, you know, pecks a stat board, but he's not a guy where I'm like, oh, wow, he's, he's going to be dominant. Or like, oh, I need, to worry about, I need to worry about him every night. Like, I don't think guys – I don't think guys lose sleep over playing him. Like, yes, he make like yeah, yeah, he pets stats and he's he's able to, you know, put up put up good stats and put up good numbers, but like guys who are transcendent and guys who, you know, are looked upon as like best in the decade or like really taking over a decade or like or being just elite guys in this league or like top of the line guys, like all stars, like he's not somebody that I really think of because it's just like it's not always just about talent. It's about the intangibles and mentality as well. And I don't see that in him. Like, I don't see the dog in him. Like, I see somebody like and, – and all that fighting stuff in the beginning with Joel Embiid, like, yeah, that's all nice. Like, that's good for fans, but that's not good for, like – that's not good for real life. Like, yeah, that's a perception and a facade that you're putting up to make it seem like you're tougher, but you're not really that. Like too. you're right, Embiid does that, but I have more faith in Embiid. Like when you like, okay, the difference between Carl Anthony Towns and Embiid is I, that they're in. No, I don't. I don't think that. I think it's mentalities too. I think because look, both had Jimmy Butler, and yet Jimmy Butler liked Embiid, but hated Carl Anthony Towns. Like Jimmy Butler's the type of player where he's able to gauge toughness and um, look, he played for a championship organization. Like he played for a championship organization. So he knows. Right. He likes winning and Minnesota, not, not everything. In Minnesota is not his fault. Like, th- like you look at the numbers that, that towns puts up and you look at what Wiggins has been doing. And then the rest of the players that they have around him, like with, with Jeff T running the point guard position and even like Ricky Rubio at times. And, and then you came in, Name their bench. We're talking about like what? Maybe like Gorgie Dang. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no pieces in Minnesota, and everything falls onto Towns. But even so, when you watch him, bro, he's not somebody that you think like, oh, like this is like this is the next 
like he's going to be the next star of the NBA. Like that's just not who you think Carl is. Like he's not that guy who pops into your head. That's fair. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with situation because I think that if you put Embiid in Minnesota with no help for the last four years, the, the narrative around him will be completely different than it is now. So I think it's all perspective. And I, I think that soon Cat will, will go somewhere and no longer be in Minnesota. And he'll have a chance to actually show people what he can do and bring to a team that is capable of with being a contender and winning. But I think that like, I think a lot of it has to do with situational stuff, but um, who's your, who's your last player, Billy? Um, my last player is the Greek freak. I kind of went basic on that one just because uh, I think he's going to be dominant. Uh, he already is dominant right now. And, um, you know, I just, I, I like his game. You know, I, I wish he could be a better shooter uh, that would be really nice to see him shoot better than he than he is currently. But uh, even without being a shooter, he's still very dominant, and I like that Bucks organization and what they're doing. So uh, I guess it's I guess that's a good segue for us to transition to our last topic as we're closing in on our uh, on our show here. Um, I think that um, teams that I like and organizations that I like are the Sixers uh, just because I kind of like what they have in Elton Brand. I think he's a, he's a good bridge for, you know, gaining content and gaining, uh, not gaining content, but gaining players. I, I, th- I think he's a good judge of, t- of talent as well. You know, him being a player, being a former player and playing for the organization and just knowing the city. Um, I, th- I, I just think I've liked all the moves that he's made so far. And I think he's leading the Sixers organization in the right direction. Um, and then, of course, I think I like the Clippers organization. I, I, I like the pieces that they've built, um, you know, even before adding Kawhi and Paul George, that team that they put together um, and that they were able to win with and go, you know, pretty far into the playoffs with, that was kind of nice to see, um, you know, getting a Lou Williams and kind of letting him play uh, that, that off-the-bench role but still playing starter minutes and being very productive and grabbing like a Landry Shamit and, and um and just using um Shay Gil- Gilgis Alexander as well like having those types of guys and being able to use them so perfectly and 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 be so successful with you know with guys who are quote unquote non stars like that's that's something that you have to you can't just look at coaching you have to look at the organization too of the guys that they brought in the guys that they were able to gel like finding needles in the haystack and uh and a for uh and um uh what's his name uh. Uh, Harold, the uh, the center, their center. What is his name? Oh my gosh, Montrez Harold. Like finding that type of gem, like that's like that's just great. That's a great job by the organization. Then my last one, uh, I think the Jazz. I, I like what the Jazz are doing right now. Um, it doesn't seem like it's anything right now, and they're still working through a few things. They still need a few pieces, but I think that down the line and within this next decade, the 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 Jazz have a great opportunity to you know maybe make some noise in in the west and i know a lot of people aren't talking about them and and you know they still have a donovan mitchell um they 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 have a rudy gobert they have a low post presence like they have some pieces to really make some noise within this next decade i'm just excited to see what they do but what do you have um my three teams are the philadelphia 76ers like billy said um i think mb and simmons as your core Richardson, Tobias Harris, all there for long term as it currently states. They might, if if things are not working in a year or two, they might look to move one of those guys and shake it up. But regardless of if if that happens, the, what you'll get back for one of those players will still be enough to keep them in that contender status. Um, I think that they have the talent. They have to put put it together. I'm not really sure what's missing there, but they they're a, a notch away from being a contender, a championship team. Um, they might even make it. They honestly might make it out of the East this year. It wouldn't be far fetched at all to see that. I don't think they could. I don't think they have what it takes to win a championship this year necessarily, just because of what they might face in the West. But I think they could definitely come out of the East this year. So I have them, and for several years actually. So I have them on my list. Um, another team, a team that we we saw come onto the scene last year, uh, is the Denver Nuggets. I think that with Jamal Murray, Jokic, that's um, your brother. Yeah, that's my that's my pops actually. <laughs> but, um, Michael Porter's been playing well lately. I'm not too sure how legit that is. I hope uh, is I'm not feeding into that bullshit. I hope I hope for his sake that it's legit. I hope he can stay healthy because if he can stay healthy, he could be a nice player in, in this league. 
Um, but, but I think that Gary Harris, but I think the thing with that team is that they have a great organizational structure. They're, mm-hmm. they're a solid franchise. Mike Malone is an outstanding coach who deserves all the credit in the world for what he's doing with that young team. I think that they're the th- cool thing about them is that they're growing together. Um, they're all young and they're growing up together. So I think, like, I think that at one point Jamal Murray has the potential to be a top ten point guard. We already know what Jokic is. We we'll see what happens if. Um, yeah, Jokic still has a little bit to prove, though, bro. I'm not even gonna hold you just because I, he's looked sluggish this this first uh, first half of the season, and he looked very overweight to begin the season as well and sluggish. I, I I don't know. He still has a little bit to prove to me, but he is still an elite guy, uh, top of the line um, player, insanely talented. But yeah, for sure, he he still has a little bit to to show me, just me personally at least. No, that's true. But they're still they're still all very young. And for with sure, that, with that coach um, and what they've shown the last year and a half has been really impressive to me. Um, and then I have a, a team that might going down a different vein. It all just depends on health, of course, and and contract situations. But I really do like what I see in New Orleans, even without Zion, without um, all their pieces ready and healthy. Uh... I think, like I think, what when you have, what Brandon Ingram has done. Arguably most improved player, obviously him and Devontae Graham are going back and forth, but I think you have to give it to Ingram at this point just because Ingram has turned into like a, a legitimate star at this point this so far this year. Oh, um, whoa. Can we calm down with the star talk? I mean, he's, he's putting up star production as it, as it currently he is. He is, but he's like the best player on that team right now, so yeah, I don't but know. But you know what I will say? I like that they're changing Lonzo's shot, and Lonzo's shot has looked the best that I've ever seen it ever, so... I'll give him think, credit on that too. I think I mean the, watching that game the other day of Lonzo was just like what everyone expected from him more of. Um, but I think he's getting comfortable. He, I mean, he's averaging eleven five and five. He's shooting thirty six percent from three. He he's not everyone goes at the same rate, but he's coming around. So that's good yeah. to see. And I think when you have Zion there, Jackson Hayes, long term, um, I think that could be a, a nice little franchise down the road if what we saw from Zion in preseason and stuff is legit um it's a big if but i'm giving them um i want to throw someone a, a different team in there um and then the last team i have as an honorable mention right here is the oklahoma city thunder on the fact of w- people really including myself counted them out this year and to have them in the playoff picture with chris paul gallinari steven adams the the amazing wait, bro, you saying, wait wait but you're giving them an honorable mention like so, so you think that – I'm saying – I'm at, no, I'm asking, like, to get clarification. So you do you think that they're going to be a team that that's going to take over the decade in the next – like, in the next 10 years? I, like that? Well, yeah, let me, I'm going to explain why. Um, All right, go ahead. I think like, – I'm not – I just wanted to give them a shout-out just because, that like, what they've done this year, everyone counted them out, and they're in a playoff team in the West right now. Um, the, the play of Shea Gilchrist Alexander – is has been phenomenal. Um, he has looked the makings of a top ten point guard, similar to Murray. Um, but I think the cool thing about that is that they have that, but they also own the draft for the next ten years, which makes it cool. Um, Thirteen draft first round picks in the next what like five to seven years is like something amazing. So I think what what like the young core that they're able to build with all those draft picks or trade for another superstar at some point gives them like so it's it's like it's like a unique situation to be in to have all those draft picks, you know? So I think it, I think that at some point in this decade one of those draft picks is gonna hit. Something's gonna turn special in OKC and I think that what they've done with that rebuild in terms of getting rid of Russ and PG and turning around quickly. Like David Griffin gets a lot of credit for what he did with New Orleans, but uh Sam Presti did a fantastic job in Oklahoma City to 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 just have them even in that realm of possibility for the next couple of years with all those opportunities is cool. Um, they're not really a, a obviously championship contender, but just I think that's something to remember in the next decade because yeah, I was about to say, how many draft picks they have. No, yeah, I was about to say, because, like, didn't the Knicks have a decent amount of picks throughout these throughout this last decade yeah, yet they, still they weren't they able to they do it? They actually didn't because they were idiots and traded them away for, like, Eddie Curry and Andrea Bargnani and Carl oh, yeah. Anthony. I forgot so, about that. They actually barely had any draft. But, but but the Celtics had a decent amount, I think, in this decade, and they really weren't able to do anything with that. Because they didn't use them well. 
Well, they did. They did. That then that's the craziest part. They did like use their picks well, but they never got. They had they had had those extra picks that they never really kept. Like that's the thing that people talking about with Danny Ainge the last couple years is that he had them in his pocket to pull the trigger on a deal and never did it. I was just waiting, and then they turned into like Carson Edwards and Grant Williams, which are fine players, but like I think you could have traded the value in the hype. You could have traded those picks for something crazy. But yeah, hindsight's a motherfucker. I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys uh, for uh, listening to um, our, our our latest episode, our first um, episode of the season. Yeah, season first two. episode of the season. Uh, first episode of the new year. Uh, Mike, where can they find you at? You can find me on Twitter at DJ Smoothie Seventeen. Um, you can find us the podcast at B Ball Brains Pod on Twitter as well. Um, you know, you already know the deal with that new season, same, same speech, um, comments, questions, ideas, just want to interact with us, anything we're there. Um, we've been thinking about trying to expand a little bit, maybe hit up, get on YouTube, see what, see what this goofy guy Billy looks like and stuff, you know? Stop. I'm, I'm I'm pretty, so we're not even going to do that. Yeah, but we're trying to grow. So keep posted, stay tuned. We'll let you know about all that. Um, where can they find you, Billy? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you guys can find me on the gram, on Twitter at BillTrice31. Tweet me, DM me. Um, you know, anything that you know you guys are thinking of with your personal teams. Um, you know, we want to hear uh, even live tweeting during games. Like, if your team is playing and you want to hear our opinion on something specific, just you know, tweet us or uh, DM me, and uh, we'll get right at you. And you know, maybe we we'll even talk about it on the pod. So. Um, make sure you stay tuned. Make sure you uh, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Spotify. Um, yeah, that's it. Anything else, and, Mike? No, nah, I know y'all missed us next week, so we promise we'll we're we'll getting back with consistency. Oh yeah, so, we back with it, baby. <laughs> we'll see y'all next week. Don't worry about that. We promise. Um, but until then, have a good one. Deuces.